0: Yeah, I mean, this was interesting and, you know, no surprises. I, I, I helped drive the acquisition because I have a New Zealand passport too and I wanted to get free trips home. But, <laughs> but aside from that, that by the way, anyone listening, that's not a good reason to buy a company, right? <laughs> it's cheaper to just buy your flights.
1: This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 337. Today, CJ and I sat down with Ryan Duguid from Nintex to catch up on the Power Platform updates and a bunch of other updates from Nintex recorded live November the 22nd, 2019. Thanks to our sponsor, Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, wouldn't you take it? Because our friends at Nintex wanna give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products that you know and trust, including Nintex workflow and forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it how you want. Test drive the Nintex process cloud at nintex.com. Hello, everybody. This is Andrew again. I am still flying solo. My compadre, Chris Johnson, CJ, is still off sitting on a sunny beach in Mexico with his family and some friends, recharging and kind of taking some time off here at the end of the year. I'm actually recording this the week prior to Thanksgiving here in the United States. I'm recording this on Friday, November the 22nd. And this is just to give CJ a bit of a break, but also uh, next week's going to be quite a busy week for us. And so we're trying to record two shows ahead of time. I uh, sat down, you, you heard the last one that we recorded yesterday with Rob Windsor. That was episode 336. And in that episode last week, We caught up on a lot of the changes that Microsoft has made to the Power Platform, changing the Power Apps name to putting a space in the name so that it follows along with like Power BI, having a space between them. Also renaming Flow, the product, to Power Automate. And then also introducing a new product called Power Virtual Agents. So we talked a bit about that, but we also covered, we talked a lot more as well related to things licensing when it comes to the power platform as Microsoft made quite a few changes to it that were announced leading up to Ignite and at the Microsoft Ignite conference. Now, today, what we did is uh, we actually, when we were at Ignite, CJ and I sat down with Ryan Duguid, who is with Nintex. Nintex is one of our great sponsors that helped put on this podcast. And we really do appreciate them for supporting the podcast. But we sat down with Ryan on, I think it was Thursday of Ignite this podcast is brought to you by Avpoint. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. But does it protect you from yourself, though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover anytime you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.afpoint.com Before we dive into the interview, there's a couple of things I want to cover first. So let me first talk a little bit about some changes we have here at the podcast. First and foremost, you might have noticed in the last episode, in episode 336, There were some things that were a little different. Our introduction was a little bit different. The start of the show was a little different. When we cut over to sponsors, things were a little bit different. When we came back from a sponsor break, things were a little bit different. And then the closing was also a little bit different. Just looking to kind of change some stuff up a bit. We've been doing this now for almost uh, a little over six years now. And with 335 episodes under our belt, CJ and I wanted to kind of make a couple little tweaks here and there. We got a bunch of stuff that we're doing. Consider it like little sprints. But... I'm really curious to get your feedback on what you thought about it. You know, did you notice those changes? Did you like those changes? Do you not like them? Uh, let me know. You're going to hear some of those changes as well in this episode. You've already heard the introduction is slightly different, uh, or the beginning, the first like say minute or so of the show is slightly different than what it was in the past. So curious to hear what you had to say about that or what you think about it. The other thing too is, you know, I went back and took a look at our Apple Podcasts. Listing, and I wanted to check out and see if we had any new reviews. And we do, we do have two new reviews in the last month or so. One of them is quite the dichotomy one of them is the five star review, and one of them is a one star review. So I'm going to highlight both of these guys. And um, yeah, this will be kind of fun. So the first one is from uh, a gentleman by the name of Matthew Summers. So the title of his post is Continuously or Continually One of the Best Shows in Tech. So it says, uh, on this date, this is a five-star review. On this date, I've listened to 156 days and 13 hours of podcasts. Wow, my, how'd you figure that out? And this was the first technical podcast that I subscribed to. Well done, smart, clever, and funny. I hope this helps promote your podcast and bring in new listeners. Matt Summers from Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. No kidding. That's awesome. So Ponte Vedra Beach is actually not far at all from where I am. It's pretty far from CJ. But it's not far at all from me, I guess. for Hey, Matt, I'm in Durban, so not far at all. In fact, my kids swim. Uh, they are competitive swimmers, and their club team is inside of Sawgrass. We're, like, right across from uh, TPC. So uh, you'll, uh, if you ever end up in the Starbucks on A1A, let's see, where is that one? That is uh, where that new Panera is, and there's, like, some Mexican restaurant in there as well, and I think a, a fitness I can't which what fitness center it is, but like a pinch of pity and all that stuff on A1A, south of the TPC entrance. If you ever go in that Starbucks, I guess probably like between five thirty and seven o'clock or so, and you see somebody sitting there in the corner working on their laptop, that's me waiting for my uh, my son to finish practice. So feel free to come over and say hey. But anyway, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. This does help, and you know these five star reviews help us reach new listeners and to help grow our audience uh, and help people find the show. So really do appreciate you dropping that comment in. But hey, not everybody likes it. Let's flip over on the complete opposite side. I've got a one-star review here. I don't think we have any of these, so this one's fun. This is from uh, someone who called themselves Captain Redo. (laughs) This is awesome. Too much silly pre-roll and host banter. If you want to learn more about the exciting world of cloud computing, fast forward at least to the 12 to 15-minute mark each of these podcasts. Since this show's hosts waste ages and ages catching each other up on what they had for dinner the previous evening, this regular sidetracking delays any discussion of DevOps, cloud computing, hybrid and multi-cloud architectures, new Azure capabilities, cloud security, identity and access management, cloud bursting or anything else you might want to learn about having to do with the cloud, since apparently they want to pretend to be the Gareth Mitchell and Bill Thompson. I'm actually not familiar with those names. But those pros over the BBC only banter for maybe one or two minutes before each podcast, not for 10 minutes or longer. Respectfully, how about adding some relevant useful information for the first 25% of each podcast, guys, really? Well, I appreciate the feedback, Captain Redo, but we're not gonna change. <laughs> I understand that you know not everybody likes that part of it, but I tell you, we ran a survey uh, about a year ago, I think it was, uh, got a pretty good response. A couple hundred people responded to it. And we got a very, I guess it was very insightful response from people. We got about you know 25% of people tune in just for the picks that we do at the end of the show. 25% of the people tune in for the news. 25% of people turn tune in for the interviews. And no lie, about 25% of people tune in to catch up on what we're up to. And to hear what our thoughts are on just kind of random stuff that's going on right now. So CJ and I do this. We love doing this show, but part of it too, and it's also a chance for us to catch up. And we do a bit of a pre-show where we do some of that stuff. We don't bore you guys with everything. But I understand that it may not be interesting to you and CJ and I catching each other up on what we're doing. But um, it's the style of show that we like to run. And that's what we're going to continue to do. So, you know, if you don't get it, if you don't like it, then I understand it. And you can just keep hitting the fast forward 15 seconds on whatever podcatcher app that you're listening. You're listening to our show with and um, jump into the relevant stuff of the news of the day or the interview. No, we don't have specific timeframe on when we do that. We don't want to make things like very specific to where you can jump in. It's just a very free flowing conversational thing that we do. So I do appreciate you taking the time to leave us the review, and you know, quite frankly, it's nice to hear people, uh, nice to see those reviews in there, so that somebody else can uh, see that. And if that's not what they want, then you know, hey, I understand. You don't want to, you don't want to subscribe to our show, but that's all good. So thanks a lot for that, though. I do appreciate it, Captain Redo. But we're not changing. Personal request though, on this. You know, if you like the show, if you haven't dropped this review, specifically in Apple Podcasts, really would appreciate if you would do it. It's the best way for us to expand our audience, to reach more people and also to do a good service for our sponsors that help us put this show on and to get their message to more and more people. It helps us grow the show, helps us do more stuff for the show, bring in more interviews and the like. And I guess, you know, hey, to that effect drop us a question. I appreciate dropping the comments as well, but if you go to MicrosoftCloudShow.com slash questions, you can send us a message, a private message on Facebook, send us a message on Twitter. We're at MS Cloud Show on Twitter. Facebook, we're super easy to find. And, you know, just send us a message or a question and let CG and I tackle it. At the beginning of the show, the first few years, we used to get, man, we got a handful of questions every week, but we haven't had much at all, actually, in the last um, couple of years. So, We'd really like to see a couple questions come in that we can field from people. This episode is brought to you by Sharegate. For those of us familiar with Sharegate, we know that they've always been all about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-service environment without worrying about the thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, a.k.a. sprawl. That's where the folks at Sharegate developed Sharegate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things that they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users that we trust, a.k.a. no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on Sharegate Apricot? Try it for free for 30 days at sharegate.com. And we're back. Now, the next thing I would like to do is I'd like to cover a couple links here. I've got about four or five links here that I would like to share with you related to some news from Microsoft Azure. I've got two kind of classifications of things. One of them is related to like DevOpsy kind of stuff. And then the other one is related to Azure SQL Server. So the first one that I've got here is a blog post from November the 13th from the Azure blog. Uh, it's titled, GitHub Actions for Azure are now generally available. And if you're not familiar, GitHub Actions make it possible to create simple yet powerful workflows to automate software compilation and delivery that's integrated straight with GitHub. So these actions, you can define these things in YAML files. They're going to allow you to trigger an automated workflow process on any GitHub event, such as a code comment, a creation of a pull request, or a generation of a new release inside GitHub. And, and there's a bunch of other stuff as well. The announcement part here is that Microsoft is announcing that the GitHub Actions for Azure are now generally available. There's more stuff that you can learn about GitHub Actions that are not related to Azure, but this is what this announcement's all about. There's also even some starter templates that you can use to easily create GitHub CI and CD workflows targeting Azure to deploy your apps, created with popular languages and frameworks, things that we've all used like .NET, Node.js, Java, PHP, Ruby, or Python, containers, any running on any operating system, there's a bunch of stuff there that shows you in the blog post shows you how to go about doing this, including deploying SQL databases or MySQL databases. There are utility actions, deploying to Kubernetes, or the AKS service inside of Azure, a lot of stuff. So definitely go take a look at that. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of stuff there to check out with these GitHub actions that have GA'd for Azure. Another thing that we've got is a blog post by a uh, senior product marketing manager from Microsoft Azure. The title of this is "Sharing the DevOps Journey at Microsoft." It's an interesting post. It's not all that long, but there is a uh, it's an interesting kind of discussion here that they have about what their experience has been like in adopting DevOps inside of Microsoft. And one of the things that's that's neat about it too is that's neat about this post is there's a bunch of links that go off into different areas. So there's things that like about the .NET team and how how they went ahead and, and adopted it. And there's an engineering system team. There's a manageability platforms team. And it just shows the things that they did on what they've done. Plus, there's also a much longer blog post or article that they share with a bunch of videos and and stuff like that. So cool resource to go take a look at. Hey, bonus link here. Microsoft Cloud in Norway opens with availability of Microsoft Azure. They Microsoft now has a new cloud data center region in Norway, which is the first global cloud provider to deliver enterprise-grade services inside of Norway. So now you got to believe that they're going to save on cooling all that data center. I just could open a window. <laughs> it's going to be able to cool things off, especially in the winter, or maybe not open it too much in the winter. I've been... Norway in the winter and it's um, it's cold. I know it's a shocker there. I wonder if this has anything to do with Northern Lights though. That'd be kind of a cool feature. Maybe you got the cloud lights. Hmm, interesting, pretty cool though. So congratulations for Norway on getting an Azure data center inside of your country. Now I got two links here related to Azure SQL Server. So the first one is Azure backup support for SQL Server 2019 and restore as files. So what Microsoft has done here, is that they now have native backup for SQL Server 2019 running in an Azure virtual machine. This is a key addition to the GA of Azure backup for SQL Server virtual machine that was announced previously in 2019. It's a zero infrastructure solution that protects standalone SQL Server and SQL always on configurations. If you're inside of an Azure virtual machine without the need to redeploy or manage any backup infrastructure, and it offers long-term retention and central monitoring capabilities to help IT admins govern and meet their compliance requirements. So, pretty cool. Uh, nice backup solution here for SQL Server 2019. And also, there is also a change feed support now available in preview for Azure Blob Storage. So, what this is, the change feed is going to provide a guaranteed orderable or ordered durable, and read-only log of all creation, modification, and deletion change events that occur to the blobs in your storage account. So you could benefit from this in the feed by looking at things such as doing bulk processing of a group of newly uploaded files for virus scanning, resizing, or backup, storing, and auditing, and analyzing changes to your objects over any period of time for data management or compliance, combining data uploaded by various IoT sensors into a single collection for data transformation and insights, and additional data movement by synchronizing with a cache, a search engine, or even a data warehouse. So this preview, you have to apply to get into this. You learn more about this from the blog post that I'll have a link to in the show notes. Again, you can get all of our show notes if you go to the microsoftcloudshow.com slash 337. And after you, when you create the request, it usually takes uh, a couple days for your request to get approved. Any existing or new GPV-2 or Blob storage accounts in West US-2 and West Central US can then be enabled for the change feed feature. So it looks like this is only available in two regions, US-West-2 and West Central US. This episode is sponsored by Rave Gun. Raygun provides full stack, error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers due to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time that you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experience of your users. And we're back. All right, now I'd like to dive in to our interview with Ryan Duguid. Now, Ryan Duguid from Nintex, has been with Nintex for quite a while now. He was First, he was with Microsoft, or previously, he was with Microsoft for many years, I believe about six years or so. And then in 2012, he left Microsoft and went to Nintex. He started there as the vice president of product and has uh, now, over the last year, is now in a role for as the chief evangelist at Nintex. Ryan is a, a good friend. I worked with him a good bit when he was at Microsoft in the WCM and ECM space inside SharePoint, or the Share, inside the SharePoint space. But he's, Ryan's got, he's one of these people I love to sit down and talk to. Although I find that when I sit down and talk to him, it's more that I'm more listening than I am talking. He's got this uncanny ability to be able to see trends in the industry, both trends that are like kind of forward and trends that are backwards, uh, like ones that have, have happened recently. And it does a really good job of like synthesizing them and distilling them down and seeing the big picture and seeing industry trends and how things are related to previous things or other trends that are going on. It's fascinating to sit here and listen to him talk. I mean, you're going to hear me during this interview. I spent most of the time, well, selfishly, I kind of spent most of the time maintaining the levels during the recording while CJ did more of the questioning. But really, it's just hey, let's just turn the microphone on and let you know, start a topic up and let Ryan talk. I mean, it's, it's absolutely it's a, it's a fantastic discussion. We talked about um, the power platform changes that Microsoft announced at Ignite. We talked about some things that, that Nintex has done and some acquisitions that Nintex, that Nintex has done recently. You heard during the intro a kind of funny clip when they bought a company uh, down in New Zealand and Ryan was involved in that acquisition and was like, oh yeah, we definitely should do this because I get to go home and just use my passport, go home with the company dime. And he's like, yeah, it probably was been a lot cheaper instead of buying a company, just uh, buying the plane tickets to go home. Is a joke. Of course, he's joking about that, but uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Put that in the intro. Okay. Let's go ahead, let's dive in, and let's listen to the interview. All right, so back at Ignite 2019
2: with a long time listener, second time caller, I think. Second
0: time caller, it's good to be back, it's been a while.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming on the show fantastic and, so of, and of course the ongoing support of Nintex as a great sponsor of the Microsoft Cloud
0: Show <laughs> yes, so for anyone who's not sure who I am it's uh, Ryan Dugood here the accent <laughs> should give it away a little bit <laughs> but it's fantastic to be back and, and, and always coming together at Ignite a, a good time
2: so what's been interesting first impressions such as keynote on Monday what are we now we're, we're recording this on Wednesday there's been a bit of time for absorption what do you reckon the standout things of this Ignite will be for you yeah, it's, you
0: know, there's obviously a particular bias because we're Nintex and, and we do what we do. We're the process guys. But um, there's two things that stand out for me. One is paying super close attention to everything happening with the Power Platform. And uh, that's going to be a great area to explore today in, in terms of why I think Microsoft's doing what they're doing in that space and what it means for, frankly, every ISB in the ecosystem. Hand in hand with that, near and dear to me because of my own background at Microsoft and being the ECM guy, is Project Cortex. And, uh, you know, it's something I've been tracking now for a long time with our, our good buddy Chris McNulty the helm. And so, uh, you know, I can't wait to see where that goes when it comes out for real.
2: Yeah, yeah it takes me back to when we worked together at Microsoft and SharePoint team. And uh, we were reminiscing the other day. We were saying, maybe we should get out the ECM for the masses t shirts again and wear them to Ignite this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel bad. I totally forgot it. It was yeah. like it's at the bottom of one of my cupboards. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, Cortex seems to be uh, picking up a lot of news, there's a lot of interest, and um, the booth seems to be smashed and busy, and what do you think is most interesting about it? Do you think it's the actual practical application of AI in the ECM space, or uh, more finishing the story that was started in SharePoint ECM all those years ago? (laughs) Leading question. Yeah,
0: leading question. If you look at the press announcements, if you look at the way it's being discussed, the emphasis is on on the knowledge network. And for the folks listening today, some of you may be familiar with this if you were on the Inside Scoop, but back in uh, 2006, we actually had a product inside Microsoft codenamed the knowledge network. And we pulled it and it was never released. A bunch of funny backstories about that for another day. But um, it's fascinating to see the word knowledge network turn up in that that press release. Not the name, obviously, but to see that there. And that's the emphasis. and, And the message is obviously about what value you derive from the content. Which I think is key for Microsoft to uh, to differentiate from from Box, from Dropbox, from every other repository. Personally, though, for me, I'm looking at the the subtext, the unwritten words, mm-hmm. and like you said, Chris, it's um, you know I think this is
1: finishing the job on ECM, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the things that stood out to me the most about it was that in the past, when you look back at like 2006, 2007, when you guys did when you were Microsoft and you were doing ECM and brought the, the democratization of ECM features out of like record centers and document centers and into where people were actually doing their work and one of the things that we always struggle with was if you put garbage in it's going to be garbage out and so the thing with an ECM system is good metadata good description of the content content types MMS but at the time the technology wasn't really there to be able to do some of that stuff automatically and now having that we have that tech and more of the AI stuff and the machine learning and the models that they can generate with the AI builder stuff is going to give them a much better chance of being much more successful too now, and being a much richer thing. It's not like we things were bad back then. It's just it's the thing that was always the struggle of getting users to participate and actually and to classify that stuff. And now to almost take that role away from them and just say we're going to give it a shot first based on some stuff we can learn, and yeah. you can also make it richer. But it's going to make everything just a much better story. And the tech just didn't exist too back then. It's just things have changed too.
2: Yeah. What about the impact on process, right? Because it's it's all content and and extraction of content out of documents and tagging and metadata and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's like, that's part of the Nintex story, right? That's how it all got started as workflows on documents.
0: It's the bread and butter. It's actually, it's funny. So I spend, you know, I'm sure everybody's noticed over the years Nintex has gone from being a nice little add on to SharePoint back when we had Smart Library in two thousand and three to be in recycle bin. Recycle bin. No. <laughs> I keep going back to that. Like I had a bunch of people ask me about it the other day, and I'm like, I'm not sure if it was really bought for the the workflow or the recycle bin in the first version, right? Like chicken or egg, which you or egg. first? But um. <laughs> The piece that's fascinating to me is that we've we've expanded our footprint far beyond SharePoint, far beyond Microsoft ecosystem. So we've made big investments into Salesforce ecosystem, doing work now through RPA acquisition and the SAP ecosystem. And as you start to go down that path, you meet all these other fascinating vendors, right? So I get to spend time with, with Google, with Box, with Dropbox and these other content players. And what was most interesting in the early days, and, and they've all advanced, and in fact, I think folks should keep a close eye on what Google's up to in this space because they have really got religion in a way that I think we found it back at Microsoft in the day. Mm. But early on, I turn up and they say, you've got to do workflow on the Google platform. Well, where's your metadata? Because the extent of workflow I can do with no metadata is pretty slim. It's like, hey, is this document okay, boss? (laughs) Yes. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> like that's a pretty simple workflow, right? And so, so you, you need a robust metadata model, it needs to be multi-dimensional. And I mean, AC, to your point, right? Like back in the day, and if I put my product manager hat on now, it's kind of comical because you know we thought the problem to solve was how do we make it easier for people to provide metadata? Yeah. Like we genuinely did not do the jobs to be done conversation because the jobs to be done was why the hell do I Want to be involved in this? I want to upload my document. Get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And you're right. The tech wasn't there. You know, there were some advances from players like you know Concept Searching, Jeff Fried, those kind of guys. Fast brought some technology in. But I think the holy grail here is as accurate as you can be, being able to give someone over a document and get that concept. Not just basic entity extraction. I mean, I think we can all do you know, hey, company name, person name, PII, that type of thing. But actually, derive concepts and meaning, mm-hmm. because when it comes to workflow, you know, a classic example is going to be you know, I'm processing a contract. What type of contract is it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it real estate? Is it a sale and purchase agreement? You know, is it is it some sort of terms and conditions for a lease on a property? Uh, because at the highest level, you know, you know, if you look at the kind of workflows people want to build here, it's like a giant switch statement, right? Especially when it comes down to structured content. Fire a document, you know. Let's, we'll, we'll come back to RPA, but uh, fire a document at me, it's probably an attachment on an email, and I want to put it in a workflow and say, okay, what is this and where does it go? So what's the what's the child workflow that actually needs to handle this type of information? Right. And if you look at Cortex and, and certainly all the early demonstrations I've seen leading up to this event, you're getting to the point where it's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Now, the super fascinating thing when you're, you're in Nintex's position is, you know, where we've always excelled is the human interaction, right? In this world, that's the exception handling. So when you say, okay, well, I've got this document, 99% confidence, sale and purchase agreement, great. Put it in that workflow, we'll deal with it. I got this other document, don't know what it is. Okay, so now I need the what I do when I don't know what it is, exception handling. Or, you know, I've got this document and I kind of think it's an invoice, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, right? So now how do I take that invoice and how do I put it in a place where I can start to work with it and tag it? Now this is where I think if you look at Cortex, what they're talking about, at that highest level around metadata is interesting. But then when you come down below, where you look at some of the tools they're providing to do content ingestion, so I can now upload an invoice into that tool, I've got a UI that I can interact with where I can say it is an invoice. Uh, hey, now you didn't get that field quite right, and actually that over there, that's a the contract start date and you can start to manipulate and then train that model to be better in the future. But mm-hmm. well, that's where I think this gets interesting.
2: Yeah, that's true. Beyond just workflow though, there's a couple of things that you guys have been up to in the last couple of years. You mentioned RPA as being one of them, but also, you know, before you even begin laying out what a workflow is, right, you've got to figure out what your workflow is. And you guys have made an acquisition, I don't even know how long it was, two years ago? A year oh, and a half? Been 18 months now, yep. a year and a half. Uh, down in New Zealand, of all places, where all good technology comes from. And um, <laughs> great it's acquisition. yeah, Great acquisition, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, why don't you discuss a little bit about before people get stuck into going and building their workflows and things, just figuring out what your processes are in an organization and what your ProMap acquisition a year and a half ago was all about. Because that obviously builds. You've got the suite now from end to end on from where you're wanting to start modeling out your workflow and what your actual processes are in your organization through to actually doing it in a tool. Yeah, I mean, this
0: was interesting and you know, no surprises. I, I helped drive the acquisition because I have a New Zealand passport too and I wanted to get free trips home. But, <laughs> not, but aside from that, that by the way, anyone listening, that's not a good reason to buy a company, right? <laughs> it's cheaper to just buy your flights. So the, the fascinating thing for us, and, and, and I'll take you back a step and, and understand you know, what really drove us to start to think differently about our role in the space of process management and automation. So... When we first started the drive to Office 365, and uh, you know, we, get, we had an award ceremony the other day for our, our Nintex Forms for O365 uh, offering, and they, they asked me, when did you start? And it was 2011, and, and the funny backstory behind that is, I was at Microsoft, and we were all sitting around saying we've got to get the top ISVs to build for 365. So I went to Nintex and said, you should build for 365. And then I went there and got a job. And built it and for 365. <laughs> I <don't really laughs> guys to build it for 365. So we started that journey. And as part of that, no surprises to anyone, that's a move to being a cloud provider, and that comes with a business model and and licensing changes, right? So we start to explore, well, how do we charge in the era of the cloud? And the thing that's most obvious to me that drove me from the very beginning was I've got to attach 100% to where the customer sees the value, right? Now, when it comes to process automation, the value is not how many users interact with the process, and there's companies that will try to stick you that way. We're not one of them. We look at it and we say, okay, well, hey, if you want to automate a part of your business that has some value to you and we're going to charge you for that, right? So we are starting down that path and to help our customers understand what that's going to mean for them, we created this thing called Know Your Workflow. It's a script, you run it in your on-premise environment and then we all sat around and start to take bets. Like how many workflows do we think our customers have? Because in the world of on-premise, you're flying blind, right? Right. So we, uh, we got people thinking maybe 50 is a good number. Maybe a couple of hundreds a good number. A few of people are out. Different
2: types of workflows. Yeah, right? different, yeah. like
0: yeah. unique, discrete workflows, or some that have been stamped out on more of a sort of site by site project basis, but each one's got its own variants, right? Some crazy, wacky guy in the team's like, oh, maybe a thousand. So it turns out, uh, some years later, the, the largest number, and it's a unique customer, but the largest <laughs> number is 120,000 workflows. A little short of the 10. Well, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and these guys, and, and, and for anyone going like, what on earth? So they have over 40 web front ends deployed on premise, right? So we go, okay, let's call them an outlier. And the next one comes in at 30,000. Well, let's call them an outlier. 25,000, yeah, that's an outlier too. And eventually we start to realize that actually, those aren't outliers in our, in our you know normal distribution curve. They are on the right-hand side, but they're not outliers. And then you, the other end of scale you find in the hundreds, right? It's pretty common to see 100, 200, 500. And the biggest clustering is in the, you know, it's like somewhere 500 to 1,000 range, right? It's not uncommon for us to see five, 600 workflows. In fact, um, you know, we have a customer recently had an alternative workflow product for some years. They'd automated seven things over five years, right? And they're pretty pleased with themselves and in less than a year with Nintex, they'd automated over 700 processes. Oh. <laughs> right? So then was we go, okay, and now the most interesting space is people in the sort of 2,000 to 3,000 range. And so, of course, we get on the phone because we're good product managers, and we ask these people, well, what could we do to help you manage a deployment of that scale? Because we never thought people would have deployments of that scale. And everyone's super happy. Tools working really well for me. Love the value I'm getting out of it, but... Um, Yeah, I kind of want to know where things are. Kind of want to know which ones are running. If I'm going to pay by the workflow, I kind of want to know the ones that I'm not using anymore. That'd be nice. I don't want you charging me for those. Fair, right? Who built them? Are they still with the company? How I many times they run in? What actions are in there? What systems are they talking to? Woof, a whole bunch of questions come out of it, right? Yeah, a lot of telemetry on what you already have, yeah. Yeah, and so that informed two things. One, we said, hey, we gotta really double down on analytics, which is um, ironic, because we used to have a product called Nintex Analytics, and I was part of the team that end of life that. It was a different product for different purposes, right? But, uh, but we said, we gotta get serious about analytics, one. Two, hey, look at all the big announcements here around investments in AI and machine learning. If we we're running millions of workflows for our customers billions of times a year, mm. imagine what insights you could derive from that, what insights they could derive from that to improve how they do business. And three, how do you get ahead of that? So how do you help someone understand like what are their processes, where are they, how do they run? And the more we start talking to customers, this really obvious question you ask, which is, do you know your processes? Do you know how your business runs? Do you know who's responsible for those things? Are you actually doing things the way you think you're doing them? if people join your company, how would they figure out how this company runs? Mm. And if someone left, did they leave with tacit knowledge, what's being called organizational you know, atrophy, right? And um, and we realized the answer to that typically is no. So then you unpack that and you say, well, what's going on? Well, yeah, to be honest, there's probably some um, Word documents around that describe some stuff. Yeah, we got the SharePoint team site with some Visio diagrams, some, some guy did this BPMN stuff, like made these big swim lane diagrams and things. And, uh, but yeah, it's not very discoverable. It's probably all out of date. So we say, hey, there's a, there's a product opportunity here, hmm. right? And uh, so then we we decide we've got to build something. And uh, all kinds of clever ideas about what we could do. And our, our head of corporate development runs all our M&A and strategic alliances. says, maybe we could buy something. Like, hey, good one. Yeah, Like, who's built anything like this? And you know, B. What's the likelihood that you know, sort of philosophically, it aligns with the Nintex worldview of trying to take complex species and make them simpler? And uh, a couple of months later, he comes back, found one. And by the way, it's in New Zealand, <laughs> so you have to go down there. <laughs> deal, deal, sold. And so, you know, so ProMap and um, very similar backstory to Nintex. So, you know, for those listening, Australia and New Zealand aren't that close to one another, but. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Americans in the audience
1: laughing. There are cultural similarities. Believe it or not, that's been covered a couple times on this show before. It's I come mean, up. It's, it's come up a couple times, yeah.
0: For, for anyone listening, it is a four-hour flight away that's like crossing America. and um, And so the two founders bootstrapped profitable from the beginning... Responsible growth, which is a big topic in the industry right now. We, we don't want we works, you know. We, we yeah. don't need to have to lay off 20% of our workflows because we took on too much VC money. And they were practitioners. So they were guys who used to go out and do process excellence consulting. And they got sick of all their work going to waste. Like, hey, we write these manuals, we do these visio diagrams, no one ever uses it. So they set about building, in their minds, what was a process portal of sorts, right? So for all the SharePoint geeks here, think of this as like an internet mm-hmm. for processes. Mm-hmm. So you log in and there's a little search box, it's like a Google search box, and you can answer the how do I questions, right? So you type in, how do I apply for leave? How do I book flights? How do I move offices? How do I hire a new employee? Mm-hmm. Whatever question you've got, you throw it at this thing and it's gonna come back and show you all the related processes. Now, what gets super interesting is these guys wanted it to be simple, so they lived in a world of these Lean Six Sigma process geeks, and um, a bit like us workflow geeks, right? We go, well, there's got to be a better way, so what if you could just get people to type the words? Don't worry about the diagram, don't worry about the symbols, just type what you do. Break it down into activities and activities have tasks. And for every activity and task, there's metadata that goes along with it. So, who's involved, what's the wait time, what's the cycle time, what's the resource cost thing? You can layer that over time, what systems is it talking to? But you just type the words. When you hit save, we automatically generate the big process diagram. We give you the swim lanes, you can print that out if that's your thing, put it on your cubicle so you know how you get your work done. But most importantly, what you then end up with is a like a, a digital process twin. I'm gonna jump on the trendy terms these days, right? So you end up, for every process in your business, you've got this digital outlet, outline of it, and it's searchable, discoverable, you can collaborate on it, you can suggest improvements, provide feedback, you can give ratings, you evolve it over time, you see all the change history that's going on with it. But then the cool thing for us was, well, how do we bring that together with workflow? And culturally, this is where it gets to be funny, it's night and day. So. The people who geek out on this technology, you go to them and you talk to them about automation, and they're like, "What? Like, well, we just do process." And the people you talked about automation are like, "Why would you document things? Why don't you just automate it?" And I used to be one of those guys, right? This brings these worlds together where you can actually describe it with words. Sitting down with a business stakeholder, so you don't have to—you're not having to interpret, translate, whatever—they just tell you what they do, and then we create what uh, officially is called the workflow generator. Internally, we call it the magic button. <laughs> right? and, uh, seriously, you know, you guys dealt with code names, right? So try to come up with wacky code names like Cortex that don't stick in the public arena. I seriously tried to make the magic button stick, <laughs> right? And I lost, but there's some cool t-shirts for sure. Yes. Um, so <laughs> click I mean, the magic easy button. Why did the magic button watch? I don't know, exactly. So that was, and that was the driver. So the easy button was one of the drivers behind it, right? Yeah. And so... the the non-Americans look up the easy button company called Staples. Buy yourself one, it's fun. So you click the magic button and we take all the power of Azure Cognitive Services, we do natural language processing, we do intent analysis, we do system mapping, and we look at all the descriptive text of the process, and we then pair it up with an equivalent on the workflow side, to try and fast track the development of the workflow. So you get seamless capturing of requirements, right? So as you bring it across, we bring over all the labeling, the metadata, where we see decisions that have to be made, that's gonna give you a conditional branch in the workflow. Where we see system interactions, hey, I need to upload this file to SharePoint, we'll bring in an action to the workflow design canvas to store a record in SharePoint. And so we're doing that work so you can just come in and configure it, you don't have to drag and drop and map everything out. It's about accelerating that time to productivity magic button does a lot. The <laughs> magic button, and we're just getting started. And to be honest, it's half the puzzle, right? Because go back to, if you're ever buying a company, you should have what's called an investment hypothesis, right? So you got to have your, your reasons this thing's going to benefit you financially. Two parts of that investment hypothesis, many parts to it, but two of the key parts. One is, all right, so ProMap has a whole bunch of customers when we acquire it. It's clear they care about process but they haven't spent a ton of time thinking about automation. So immediately I've got some people I can sell automation technology to, right? Meantime, and we acquire Promap, so figure it out. That means we're bigger than them, right? So meantime, we have a bigger customer base on our side, that we can go and get to buy the process mapping side of it, right? Newsflash out there, we're not charity. <laughs> And charity. Uh, but what gets super fascinating there is to go, okay, so we got these customers with thousands of workflows. What if you could point ProMap at that deployment of Nintex and just turn on the vacuum and just suck in all that data and automatically overnight generate a process portal for that customer, right? <laughs> now, even more interesting, what if you could do that not just for Nintex stuff, or for any processes you might find, yeah. could be built with K2, could be built
1: with Agile Point, Pega, Appian, could be done with Flow, Zapier, you name it. What it's like a migration d- engine. Well, not exactly, but it helps with a migration.
2: You know, <laughs> never thought of that. Yeah, gotcha. Never <laughs> thought of
1: that. Um,
0: <laughs> step one is to help the customers understand their environment. Step two, if they ever wanted to you know, move into the world of Nintex, that might facilitate that because that magic button could then round trip it for you. But it's early days to be thinking about that too sure, much. Sure. I, first of all, I've got to be able to keep doubling down on what we can generate and how much we can infer from the existing process models, then start to service the existing customers by bringing in Nintex capabilities, and then look further afield and understand how can we you know, benefit those other customers for sure. sure. So
2: it's about mapping and documenting and discovering and ultimately building your workflow and things, but big hot button topic in the industry right now is this whole thing around like what seems to me like a bunch of screen scraping and automation. <laughs> and they call it RPA for some reason. So what, what's this robots thing all about? Is it green screens and automation or what's the skinny? Why is it suddenly so popular? So it's
0: funny, we're, AC and I were talking before about uh, marketing and um and the power of simple changes in, in marketing to have a big impact on business and top and bottom line. And, um, you know, whoever came up with the term RPA needs the gold medal in, in marketing, right? Because I'll tell you why it's actually different, right? And and again, all this stuff to me is fascinating as a, as a journey as just someone who works in this industry because go back a year in time and I'm looking at UiPath Automation Anywhere in Blue Prism and I'm scratching my head going, what, like, what am I missing here? Like, this is screen scraping, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, if you go back as far as I do, you remember like Windows 3.1 had a macro recorder and you could make it click around the screen and stuff. And it was a bit questionable what it did, but like it, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it yeah it's it absolutely, it. yeah. Right? So we started looking at it and that was the view, you know, step one is, hey, this is screen scrapey. So that step two leads you down the path of saying, oh, this is for um, legacy systems, right? You mentioned green screen terminals and the likes. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, this, this week at, at uh, Ignite, Microsoft announced that they're getting in the RPA game, right? Which is super cool because when a trillion-dollar company decides to invest in a in a space, that's good validation, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I like the fact that I got there before them. <laughs> and, um, but. You know, we started looking at it and we we realized actually, you know, and I give full credit to UiPath for this, right? Changing the perception of what RPA is and what it could be and um, and getting people to, to rethink the possible. And so, there is definitely an element, if you look at what happens with RPA tech, in particular sectors, where it is dealing with legacy apps, it's dealing with um, terminals, green screens. Like, we when we acquired EnableSoft at the start of this year, and we looked at a lot of the customer base. No surprises; banking and insurance are, are heavy users. Yeah, and in banking, in particular, it is green screen. I will come back to the screen scraping thing, right? Because it's evolved a lot since then. But it, but it's green screen. But when you start to dig a little bit deeper, I think this. Um, and, I, and I just came from a session. Uh, Charles Lamano is presenting on Power Platform, and he sort of went down this path. This sort of legacy app. And it's amazing what's being called a legacy app now. It's like legacy app seems to be the thing you last released that you don't want to take ownership of anymore. But it's like, here we've got this legacy application, and to me it looks like a perfectly fine web-based app that's probably built sometime in the last five years. But it's not a legacy app. Why is it legacy? Oh, it's got no REST-based APIs. Okay. Well, that's because some customer got something built. And when you're getting bespoke software built, you're not worrying about extensible APIs that some other person might want to use with time, right? Yeah. And so the more you dig into it, what you find is that the real power of RPA is in the ability to look at what a person's doing and help make them more productive. So I like to think of the concept of digital assistant, right? The RPA ultimately, I think, is going to evolve to becoming a technology that much like Excel was back in the day is just something that you have that sits on your desktop and you can maybe imagine it's got a list of like the 20, 30 things you do every day. Maybe it learns over time as it monitors you and it watches you and it starts to suggest new things. right? And it says, hey, Ryan, it looks like you might be trying to add a new customer account. Oh, yes, I am. Well, click this button over here and we'll do it for you. right?" And so it's not so much is it legacy apps, is it non-REST-based things, it's just things I typically do on the desktop, apps I typically interact with on the desktop, this is going to do it for me. Mm. Now, for us, I think, and why what Microsoft's doing is super interesting to me, is that what they call the big three, so UiPath, Blue Prism Automation Anywhere, very much RPA is what they do, what they have, and they will push it at all costs. They do that because they don't have workflow the way we have it, right? What's interesting to me about our choice here and and what Microsoft's doing as well is that we think the real power is when you have RPA for what it's good at, you have workflow for what it's good at, and you make it super easy for them to talk to one another. So in our world, the ability to say, hey, I've got this workflow and it has to reach down into an on-premise SAP environment. Great, release the bots, Mm -hmm. right? Like we have a bot orchestrator, sits inside the firewall, secure channel up into the cloud, and we can reach down to that and we can say, go crank some jobs scale it out horizontally if we need. If we want to run up, you know, 500 VMs that all sit and hammer away, process and rows out of a massive spreadsheet, we can do that for you. Mm. Meantime, you might have a bot that's sitting quietly in the background. Go back to our earlier example, handling invoices. And that bot may be stripping invoices off of emails, updating systems inside the firewall, and it may say, hey, hang on a minute, I've got a problem, don't know what to do with this. Alright, send that out to an Intex workflow cloud. That's going to spin up a workflow that's going to get You know, Mm -hmm. CJ here involved. Hey, there's this document, we don't know what it is. Can you look at it? Can you tag it? Can you approve it? Can you review it? When you're done, get back to us
2: and we'll carry on from here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that full bi-directional communication. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So any last thoughts on Ignite? What are you going to do after this? You going, uh, hitting up any sessions? You said you went over and uh, sat in on some demos. Mm -hmm. Any sort of final thoughts on interesting stuff that you want to go take a look at or you think people should go look at the recordings for?
0: Yeah, so there's there's a couple things, right? Uh, you know, obviously, we're, we're the drag-and-drop folks, right? We're the, the world talks about low-code. We're no-code, right? And uh, anything that's down that path is interesting to me. So uh, taking a look at what's happening right now, AI builder is a fascinating piece of tech to me. Go back to the ECM for the masses democratization thing. If you can democratize AI, if you can get... I mean, look. At the end of the day, it's not going to be everyday information worker. But if you can take someone who understands a business and they can build and train AI models visually, that to me is super compelling, right? Any advances and what can be done with things like Power Apps. Love Power Apps because man, I can put workflow behind Power Apps all day long. Like that's one of the big things for us right now. Is uh, you know this event is is talking about our better together with the Power Platform story. So how we work with Power Apps, uh, how we leverage Power BI to do some of that advanced analytics, how we're working with cognitive services and, and the machine learning capabilities to drive our own platform. And as and where it makes sense, you know how we might wrap around the flow or how a flow might be able to call out to index to, to get some heavier lifting work done.
2: Nice, well that. thanks for taking the time. Have a great rest of the show. For listeners, where should they go to find out more?
0: Yeah, so there's a few places. One, obviously Nintex.com, a bit of a no-brainer. Two, get onto our community. There's tens of thousands of active members in there. They're answering questions, they're helping people out all day long. It's a very vibrant environment. Uh, and three, we've doubled down on our, our training. So we have Nintex University, encourage people to go along there and see what's available, figure out how to, you know, advance their careers
1: by getting better at process. Nice. And on behalf of our listeners, we want to thank you guys, too, for being a, a big sponsor and, and helping support the podcast. And the listeners definitely appreciate it. We appreciate it. And we love the relationship we've had with you guys, too. So thank you very much. That's uh, a pleasure. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a Wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.